0: and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next.
1: sir. I the some
2: home to Good morning, folks. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month, second Tuesday of the year, as a matter of fact. Time for Boat Talk, which comes every t- second Tuesday at 10 o'clock here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is your Primary source of radio calling information. If you'd like to vote boat, just uh, give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight, and you can be on boat talk. And uh, boat talk is with your old rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. That's Mike, the handsome one over there. I'm Alan Sprague, the suave one. Today we got a whole raft of things to talk about.
3: Wow, we got a couple of boat talk pro- programs today, and. Uh, I thought, like always, we'd start off with uh, kind of going through the news and stuff like that and a couple of interesting topics. And then we got to hear from Greg Roussel of the Unity Barn Raisers uh, Children's Boat Building Program. And uh, hopefully Greg will call in after we get done chatting about the news. Uh, here's the way I see it going, anyway. Mind you, we we run boat talk kind of loosey goosey.
2: Yeah, it never goes that way. So no, and plan I, on that.
3: We actually had a little. Uh, if you were tuned into Alan's extra large soul show two to four on Thursday, we had a little, we had a meeting yep. on the air boat and it's all changed since then. And so well, not entirely.
2: One one suggestion bit, yeah. was cheap boat building, so we're going to at least briefly talk about that. Hopefully, sometime. There you go. Sometime.
3: Anyway, uh, you know, run over by uh, other things today, so. Uh, we'll throw out as much as we can, see what sticks. Also, hope, uh, hopefully in the second half of the program, after we get done talking to Greg, uh, George McKay from Raw Faith will call in. We got an email from a crew member of his from Louisiana who was wondering what was up with George. So I gave George a call the other day, and we had a couple of really remarkable conversations, and hopefully we'll talk to George McKay from Raw Faith in the second half of the program. Yep. And the phone's ringing already. We haven't given the number or anything. <laughs> We're already- I did. I did.
2: I'll give it again to one you? if you'd like to talk about anything. Mabel we'll, we'll contemplate whatever you have to say.
3: I should pay more attention to... Uh... Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, did you know Billy Joel is building the boat down on Mount Desert again? I did. Yep. He likes Mount Desert-built boats. Yeah, he does. I was uh, working at the Hinckley Company years ago, and people come running up to the shop going, Christy Brinkley's on the dock! <laughs> Average-looking blonde, pretty blonde lady in a sweater, you know? I mean, come on. But uh, it was pretty cool. So anyway, uh, the Ellis Boat Company is building uh, Billy Joel and Ellis 36 Sport Fisherman, a brand-new design. And uh, this is based on a picture Billy Joel saw of a 1940s sport fisherman in a magazine. And so he came up with the idea for the boat, okay? And he's been instrumental in the design. And this boat... um, well, here's my favorite part. Uh, this comes from the Ellsworth American of uh, December 13th. It says here, uh, Joel, who has owned several boats with roots uh, uh, in this area, was involved with the designing every detail of this boat, so the vessel is designed exactly to his specific needs, according to yard owner Donnie Ellis. He said the company founders, Raymond Bunker and Ralph Ellis, his father, likely would have... Not approved of the changes from the standard Ellis.
2: (laughs) It's not a catamaran.
3: (laughs) Including the pitch of the windshield and the rounding edges of the cabin in the wheelhouse. Uh, You know, Ellis has come kind of sharp on the corners there, in my opinion. It also is quite a narrow boat. It will be a sport Mm -hmm. fisherman. It will feature a pulpit on the bow and a tower for spotting them big fishes. And uh, it's got more horsepower than Ellis has ever put in a boat before. It's going to be fast. Yeah. It has a special exhaust designed never never to let the uh, exhaust waft over the transom and bother the ladies lunching or you know the sport fishermen gutting a fish you know and uh <laughs> big tankage too for uh you know uh. now here's the here's here 's the uh heresy the steering station is in the middle of the boat in the center center c- center console head. steering in a in a thirty six foot boat Holy with God. horseshoe seating around it. So the captain is the center of socialization on the boat. Yeah.
2: I've seen that on bigger boats, but not on ones.
3: Th- it's heresy I'm saying. You don't put the steering wheel in the middle. It's always on the left. It's usually the starboard. But unless, unless you're left-handed. Heretics put it on the, you know, port siders is almost kind of a, you know, I'm not saying it's a term of endearment all the time, you know.
2: Well, what do you say we go to that phone call before they get Let's tired Let's see who's the there. And get on to Boat Talk. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
3: Good morning. Greg Russell here. How are you? Oh, no, Greg. Morning, Greg. How you doing this morning? Not too bad. Uh, Greg's uh, involved in the uh, Unity Barn Raisers uh, kids boat building program. They got a grant from the Maine, uh, got it here somewhere, Economic and uh, Development Council, about forty thousand dollars to the Unity Barn Raisers, and it comes downhill to Greg uh, helping kids build boats. Uh, what's going on over there, Greg? Well, it, it's actually going great. We're uh, we're using uh, the Showback thingy as our as our
4: Victim sailing models, which will be uh, used in the uh, sailing program that the barn raisers also have uh, that would be used during the summertime, so the young young folks and it 's mostly junior high school age uh, uh, one one fellow is as uh, young as young eight years old, but mostly it 's junior high school age, and uh, anyway, they build in the boat and uh, getting regular show up every, you know twice a week and it 's great have uh, about ten in the program. And they're building everything. You know, we started off, first boat was using parts from the Chesapeake Lightcraft kit that wooden boat sells. The second one, they're making all the parts themselves, all the lamination, the lamination stem, building transom, planking, all the whole thing. And, and it's coming out
3: great. They're doing, they're doing adult-quality type of stuff. It's a, they're a lot of fun. You do a lot of adult teaching through the Wooden Boat School. Uh, yeah. how, how's it? How's it uh, what's, what's different for teaching with the kids? Uh, I have to change the jokes a little bit, you know, sort of. Uh,
0: <laughs> you know,
3: don't talk about you know Jimmy
4: Dorsey and and uh, political candidates from the nineteen fifties and all. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. The kids listen really well, and uh, sort of hang on you. It's a great age because they 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 still are willing to listen to you, you know, and uh, so they 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 do a great job they're learning about tools and why sharp tools are good and and mixing epoxy they really, you know they they get that, that right down there learn about wood and of course you utilize a lot of math and history and and applied physics and all that sort of stuff that you do in boat building so it's, it's it's a great vehicle for that but the thing is that it's a chance for them to build something which is kind of rare these days for for young people to get their hands on on real tools and you know uh, saber saws and and uh, hand drills and planes and chisels and hammers and all that kind of good stuff.
3: Well, as you know, Greg, as a boat builder, it's fun to build stuff. I mean, you build something, and you you know, if you do do a, something that pleases you, sit and look at it, and it's very rewarding. But then to go for a boat ride in it, oh yeah, and it's, it's, it's got to be super plus.
4: Oh, it, it's way cool because you know we've got the larger boat there, the twenty three. What both the Jim McDonald donated to to the program, but then we have these small ones. And a part of the magic of this, though, is that you know, because there's so many different moving parts in there, is part of what makes it happen is there's there's a lot of buy-in by the community. We have a lot of volu- uh, uh, a raft of adult adult volunteer teachers, which so we really have it's it's almost like a, a two-to-one. Uh, Three to one two to one type of ratio, so that we can have a lot of different projects moving, and the kids always have assistance but well, the kids are building the whole boat themselves, but we have have, have uh, regu- uh, regular teachers and which has been great, and we've had assistance from from wooden boat and Chesapeake Lightcraft and hamilton Marine and so i mean it's it it takes a lot of stuff to pull this all together to make it work, but it's it's been working out fine.
3: Greg, you're going to scar these kids for life. I often ask people around Boat Talk, "What, you know, what's wrong with you? What made you crazy about boats? And they're going to say, well, this this uh, kind of character, this Greg Roussel fellow taught us how to build a boat and took us sailing a long time ago. I know, and, you know, it, 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 now I fix everything with epoxy instead of duct tape, they'll tell you, you know? That's right.
4: My mic, uh, Way some of them away from being investment bankers or something in the future, so maybe wow. lawsuits. I don't know.
3: It's a lot of responsibility, man. <laughs>
4: but it's it's great. And I think, uh, the young folks are wonderful, and and it's it, it, it's like it's like going to a big party each class. You know, as far as everyone, because they they get right to work. You know, people uh, a neighbor went through and he said, oh, you know, wanted to see where the, the class was, and the uh, kids wouldn't. Wouldn't, he, wouldn't he even know. You, you know, they they kept right on working. They they told him what uh, what he wanted to know, but they they were focusing right in on cutting out their stuff. They, they only you know they are just paying attention. It's great.
2: Yeah, Youth, youthful enthusiasm is uh it, it's it's undeniable when you see it, and it's great, as you say.
3: And we like to see it in the kids, besides Greg as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's right. Well, I probably should let you guys get back to 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 making a radio show. Okay.
3: Right. Well, how about
2: contact information again? Great. Okay.
4: the uh, the uh, the place to, uh, to call for information about that would be the Unity Barn Raisers, and uh, that's uh, let me just uh, make sure I got the number. I believe it's uh, it's nine four eight. Um, okay, let me get it, just make sure I got it right here. Um, yep nine nine four eight nine zero zero five, and that will get you to, to to uh, the world headquarters of Unity Barn Raisers in Unity.
3: Greg Russell also does, uh, full disclosure here, World of Music on WERU on Sunday nights. I do, indeed. Yeah, and uh, famous, like I say, in the Wooden Boat uh, School as a teacher and the Wooden Boat Magazine as a writer, the author of several books I'm so jealous of. We can hardly speak of that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, good for you, man. But anyway, uh, the shop
4: is right across from from the Unity uh, railroad station there, so it's... So, they have a nice view of the steam locomotives and all that sort of thing. So, it's a nice location.
3: Yeah, just keep the kids that are right on track there.
4: <laughs> so to speak,
3: yes. Yeah. Oh, there's always a pun somewhere. Thanks. see
4: okay, you guys. Well, thank, thank you, Greg. So thank you, Greg. Sure. Okay. We'll okay. Have
3: a good day. Bye-bye. Greg Roussel, uh, Unity, boat, uh, Unity Barn Raisers Boat Program. Uh, we're doing boat talk this morning. The phone number is. I'll bet you
2: the state of Maine now could probably boast having the most boat builders per capita, especially with all the uh, youthful boat building programs we're working around through the state. If um, not, we ought to work on it.
3: Well, you know, we've talked, that's a regular subject on Boat Talk, about uh, how we have a worldwide reputation for boat building, but not so much a local one, uh, you know, for people that really aren't, you know, all, all that uh, crazy about boats to start off with from you know the cradle, whatever reason, mm-hmm. and uh you know we are all in favor of more education here. Husson has taken over the main the the so called boat school down to washington county there, and uh the uh Landon, Landon school, school is somebody definitely. we out, there's the apprentice shop down in Rockland, uh, Atlantic challenge and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. We we're just talking about the Billy Joel boat that um Ellis boat is building now. Also, from a different uh, edition of the Ellsworth American, they have a wonderful waterfront section. So does the Bar Harbor Times. Coastlines, they call it in the Bar Harbor Times, which is a, a lovely local feature you wouldn't find in a paper in <laughs> Iowa. Let's no. just for instance, pretty no? short on coast in Iowa. Yeah. So, uh, according to the uh, Ellsworth American waterfront section from uh, this uh, last uh, January third, uh, Maine built about uh Main Boatyards built about sixty plus commercial just over sixty commercial fishing boats last year. Okay? About a dozen the, of those went out of state. About thirty-five of them are east of uh you know basically down what you call down east, Penobscot Bay to the eastward. In the lobster in, too? no in okay. Maine. Okay. Okay. The lobster in is not so good over to the westward anymore and, and you know, arguable how good a season we had here. But the fellows with the the big new boats are are generally in Maine over to the eastward here. Mm-hmm. About thirty five of them, brand new. Twenty one of those boats were over forty feet, which is a good size Pretty boat, good size, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's a good size boat. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's what's going on in the state of Maine boat building. Giffy Full, our uh, steamed colleague and <laughs> guest host, whenever he can be around, he's off to Florida now. Giffy's a uh, 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 one of the classic marine surveyors, absolutely world-class, uh, you know, and a uh, voice of some experience around here. Giffey thinks that we ought to uh, spend more time uh, seeing what's going on in different boatyards, and I agree with him, I think. Right. For one thing, we Giffey's given us advice.
2: If you're listening in a boatyard and you want to get a hold of us, too, here's the way you can do it. There's two ways, actually. You can go to our own website, which is boattalk.org, and there's a contact us section in there, and we'll... If you've got any uh, launchings or any sort of happenings you want us to talk about, let us know. We'll be glad to talk that up. And you can also get to Boat Talk through the WERU um, website.
3: And maybe we'll walk through the door someday or call you on the phone. I mean, we get notes sometimes, like uh, Southport Island Marine, okay? How's it going down there, folks? Yeah. Um, you know, hey, come and visit us at the boat show. Well, you didn't get to the boat show last year, and, and uh you know, people like that <clears throat> are reaching out. We ought to reach back, and what an excuse to walk into a place and uh, kick some keels, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, hopefully not annoy anybody too much. Mm. So um, we got we gotta start doing some of that. So that's coming in the future. Um, what else we been talking about? Janie Riggins' schooner got cut wow. loose down nice to night. Rockland. There, it was tied up uh, over by the Harbor Park, and one night, two kids. It turns out one was thirteen, one was fifteen. They've been run around town slashed about uh, seven cars' worth of tires and some other vandalization and cut the lines on that on that beautiful schooner. Yeah, cut s- five
2: of seven lines. So yeah. It actually didn't drift away entirely. Yeah, it, it
3: got spun around a little bit and the bowsprit kind of got under the dock or some or some or something on yeah, a rising tide and snapped off. And I guess she's hauled, hauled out down to Booth Bay, I believe, at the present time. So we called the J. E. Riggins peoples, but uh, didn't get back and, you know... We can talk about that more in the future. Uh, the boat's, uh, you know, a good example of people pulling together. And, uh, you know, you boats hurt. We're all there for you. You know, this uh, stupid thing happened. And uh, I was speaking to somebody last night who says, what about the punishment for those kids? The, the state is going to charge them with a major, you know, whatever they can for their age because they did a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, how about make them work on the boat? Starting with scrapers underneath, and maybe progressing to you know hauling on uh, on a canvas and rope later on, and and uh, not only could it start as a learning punishment, but uh, could turn into a positive experience That's for our, an excellent suggestion. Well, I thought it was too. That's why I bring it up. We're doing Boat Talks morning. I almost gave the phone t- phone almost number a few minutes
2: ago. I got diverted. one 625 9378
3: And we still got a couple of things on uh, you know, the list here to talk about uh, that I'm kind of interested in. Anyway, did you hear the news uh, last night? Uh, three U.S. naval vessels steaming through the Strait of Hormuz between Iran oh, and... Oh, yes, I did hear oh, that. Oh, yeah. Five Iranian gunboats come over the horizon. And uh, they come right at them, and they keep coming at them, and they keep coming at them. And uh, to the Iranians, they say, that's no big deal. We can go anywhere we want. The Americans were surprised how the Iranians kept coming on, and the American commander had given a prepare-to-shoot order when those boats turned around. And uh, there was also, I heard one report, that the Iranian gunboats threw some stuff into the water before they left. Yeah, some boxes of sort Which just freak you out, okay? Well, you don't know what's Uh, inside of them. Yeah, how's that for some boat talk? Mm. Uh, You know, so there's the news. Also, uh, is it a happier, no, I guess it ain't, happier subject. (laughs) Once again, from the Ellsworth American uh, Waterfront section from uh, December 27th this time, uh... The story is about global warming versus uh, the oceans and specifically lobsters, okay? And Bob Stenick from the University of Maine Oceanography Department, he's one of the world experts on lobsters. If you read like uh, Trevor Corson's book, The Secret Life of Lobsters, Bob's, Bob's, I'd love to talk to Bob. That's, he's on the list too. But he put out a paper in uh, Science Magazine, and the gist of it is, without going too far, is that um, the seas are acidifying. Acid, you know, acid rain, oh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. the sea is becoming more acidic. Now, your corals and your shell creatures, like lobsters... Are dissolved by acid. Uh, well, they, yes, they are, and they depend. <laughs> but to, to grow uh, and, and do their shells, uh, they depend on calcium carbonate, mm-hmm. Okay, which is dissolved in the water, which is... Basic. Again, yes. Yeah. So a uh, challenge besides the warming of the water, which will affect... Um, um, what would you call it, uh, food sources and and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, besides that, we're talking about a chemical imbalance problem that may affect lobsters badly. And there is some uh, question what the magnitude of this is, but, uh, like I say, we'd like to talk to Bob Stenick at some point about lobsters. And and, uh, Mm -hmm. I took oceanography in college. What a great course that was. can be crabby. You've done it again. Sorry, Bob. Ain't you something. Um, Yeah. We'll have to, yeah, that's definitely a... Put it on the list. We got another one here that we weren't able to, uh, we got to talk about this, though. We we weren't able to uh, get the pictures of this up on the BoatTalk.org website. Um, but uh, Howard mailed us this last month, and it is just remarkable. It is, uh, says here the cover sheet, this boat came in last night to Vero Beach, Florida. It has an 80-foot mast and a 7-foot 10 draft. Each water bag, we'll get to that in a minute, weighs 2,000 pounds, It has been coming down the intercoastal waterway. What a treat to watch the crew execute this maneuver. Uh And a boat with an 80-foot mast and a 7-foot-10 draft, strictly speaking, can't go down the intercoastal waterway. Yeah,
2: we need to say why.
3: Which is a series of uh, waterways inland from the actual ocean. And if you want to take a boat south at this point, you go down what's called the ditch. You get yourself to Norfolk. Uh, Virginia, and you go down the ditch, mm-hmm. as it's called in the, in the boat world. Now, this boat's too big to go down the ditch.
2: Because the bridges are, I think, maximum 56 feet. Yeah, too short to get them?
3: under the bridges and too deep for a couple of the shallow yeah, parts. Yeah. Now, I had a chance for a delivery uh, south on a boat that wouldn't fit down the intercoastal just after Thanksgiving. Okay, and that means you've got to go around Cape Hatteras mm-hmm. this time of year. And Cape Hatteras is a big point, sticks out there and makes a lot of waves and wind and stuff. Really
2: surely there. And
3: also, this. you've got to squeeze between Cape Hatteras and the Gulf Stream. You're going south, Gulf Stream's going north. Um, you know, so anyway, uh, it's a bad piece of ocean. And in November, early December, it's, uh, it's an area of some concern. Now, I had a chance for a delivery there. We kind of turned it down finally because uh, the owner was, frankly, being a little bit difficult. And, uh, you know, also there was an issue, for instance, uh, just for instance, uh, you know, if we have to lay up, do I have to pay you guys? Well, yes, you do. Okay? <laughs> yeah. We're away from home and we're working. Yeah, but, we're... but so that puts pressure onto the owner who is, wants to go on the delivery as well. Another thing, you know, we just assume not have him, honestly. Um, his pressure now is to keep us moving. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Time who cares money. what the weather is? We're, you're here. We're going so we probably wisely let that go but this boat which is too big to go down the intercoastal does it with water bags and here the first picture is there are two 110 water bags hanging from the mast a good bit above the level of the boom now the next picture shows it heeled over with the, the uh, it's heeled over now. Think the, the bags are on halyards and they are hanging yeah. vertically down. Yeah. They are way outboard of the boat. The boat's heeled over. I'm the boat is healed over degrees, quite a bit. Anyway. And in the third picture, it's coming under a fixed bridge between two uh, breakwaters. The rail of the boat is in the water. Okay. Which is a, is a valid okay. sailing angle for a boat like that. The bags are just touching the water. Okay. Mm-hmm. The mast therefore is healed way over now it's think of your triangle there Uh, it's very tall when it's straight up when you bend it down it's not as tall now It fits under the bridge and the boats not as deep either off they go I can see how they get the bags back in you could have a line to pull them back in or trip something that would let the water back out I can see that but I want to know how they got those bags outboard that far they're way above the level of the boom, and I do not see any uh, evidence of a pole here. Mm, yeah. So I want to know. I want. I want. We want to get these pictures up on the Boat Talk website, and I want to know how they get those bags out there.
2: They have to drag them out with a ding and, or something. And uh,
3: how much? Uh, you know what could go wrong with this plan?
2: Well, who knows? But we have a phone call. Wow. so Let's Ooh, let's see yeah. what, what's up with this phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk.
5: Hey, good morning. This is George McKay calling. Hi,
2: George. Morning,
3: George. Uh, hey, how, how are it, you mate? this
5: morning i'm doing fine
3: good um George uh can I just run down the history for just a second and uh you know we've got plenty of time here and if if i don 't get it right you'll you know but uh just background george uh, um, used to be a electrical engineer who worked down in the Boston area and uh, he commuted from Winthrop maine and he was uh spending too much time in the car in my opinion and got to thinking and With uh, no real boating background, kind of, uh, you know, and I believe kind of a call from God, decided that uh, his mission was to build a boat. Now, George has a daughter, Elizabeth, who has Marfan syndrome, a spinal cord uh, problem, and Elizabeth's been in a wheelchair all her life. And uh, George thought, uh, with his experience of uh, families with handicaps, um, that it would be a great family thing to uh, get people out sailing. And so he moved the family down to Addison, Maine, basically sold the, sold the ranch, you know, and moved down to Addison, and over several years built a self-designed and kind of self-described race galleon. It's about 90 feet long. It is uh, high-sided. It's got a couple masts, and uh, they finally shoved it into the Pleasant River there, uh, rigged it up, and, uh, you know, um, it's a bit of an unusual craft. Now, George has tried to get it south across the Gulf of Maine twice. Both times he's been dismasted and uh, hauled back by the Coast Guard into Rockland. George, this morning, hopefully, is on on raw faith. He's living there this winter with his son, Bobby. And uh, they are uh, under port arrest. They are not allowed to move the boat without a real tugboat, I'm told, and uh, have to meet Coast Guard uh, requirements of, uh, for instance, the new rig, I believe, has a requirement to be certified by a certified naval architect and... uh, so anyway, George is in the harbor down there, and uh, if I could, one last thing. It's in this pile here with these pictures. We got an email last month that uh, I'm kind of proud of, honestly, and it was from a fellow who uh, was on the last trip with George out of Jonesport, which ended up back in Rockland, and uh, he says here, I listened to your Boat Talk podcast today from 6:13:06, and I found it interesting, and I want to tell you guys I thought you treated George fairly. And gave him an opportunity to say what he needed to say. And your questions were not over the top. Nor were they impossible to answer from his point of view and position. I have not spoken to George since that time. And I was wondering if you could give me an update on the boat. And his conditions. uh, You know, thanks in advance blessings. And uh, so I called George the other morning. And uh, we had a really interesting conversation. And now we're on the radio. So anyway, George, uh, you had Elizabeth over to the boat this summer.
5: Yes, we did. She uh, stayed with us through the entire summer, and it was wonderful having her.
3: How's her health?
5: Uh, She's doing really very well. She still has a lot of uh, issues that she deals with every day, but uh, for Elizabeth, she's doing very well. Um, On your synopsis, Mike, the only thing that I would correct would be Marfan syndrome is a connective tissue disorder, which does affect the spine and her heart and lungs and eyes and every other facet of her body.
3: Uh, at least I got the boat stuff right, George. Uh, you sure did. Yeah, thank you. Um, so anyway, uh, let me think here for a second, Elizabeth. Um, oh, uh, Elizabeth's in a wheelchair now. How do you get, and mind you, it's part of your, your mission to want to take uh, people like Elizabeth and their families on dockside tours and out sailing. Um, you and Bobby are living out there this winter. You've got like a uh, aluminum skiff with an outboard on it, and that's, that's, that's how you commute, right? Correct. Water, firewood, all that stuff gotta go back and forth.
5: Yeah, uh, yes.
3: Yeah, um, you know, a bit of a challenge, frankly. Now, how do you get Elizabeth on and off the boat and on and off the dock?
5: Well, Rough Bates is not currently set up for uh, accessible wheelchairs, being um, accessible at this time. That's something we still need to do. As far as Elizabeth, we're able to carry her um, wherever you know we need to take her. So she's small enough and light enough that. Uh, She's an easy, pack, easy package to carry.
3: But uh, you used to have a, um, a pivoting hoist right on the side rail there.
5: Yes, we did, and we, took, we had since taken that down. And in the future, we'll have something similar to that, where we'll have a hoist that will uh, send some straps through the frame of the chair and then hoist the
3: uh, uh, guest up on board. And you told me the other day when um, you get into shore, you uh, would head over to, for instance, the uh, fish pier at Rockland has a ramp. Uh, you know, and you, you got her off and onto the ramp and, and off you go.
5: Correct. We were using uh, Night Marine's uh, pier as well where they have a ramp and we could just pick her up and set her, you know, a chair on the uh, dock and then pick her up and set her in the chair and then wheel her right up the ramp.
3: Yeah. I know your son Tom quite well and uh, your middle boy there, I guess you'd call him, and, and uh was talking to Tom the other night. He gave me a nice little uh, Christmas card snapshot. He says, uh, you were on the boat for Christmas?
5: Yes, we were. Uh, matter of fact, all three of my boys were here for Christmas with their uh, uh, wife and girlfriends.
3: The part I liked is a snapshot, he says, middle of the day, y'all got in the outboard and and uh, went caroling. Car- I can say, car- caroling up and down the breakwater.
5: <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised the number of people walking the breakwater Christmas Day. But Thirty, forty, fifty people walking the breakwater. All the time, you look up, you know, and there'd be 30 people on the breakwater at any given point in time. So it was just a constant flow of people.
3: Did you have a Santa cap on or something for my snapshot here, George? That would make a great Christmas card.
5: Yeah, that would have, but unfortunately we didn't. uh, But we did sing as loud as we could for them.
3: Excellent. I I like that picture. So anyway, um, now... Raw faith has been dismasted, and you're kind of you're stuck in the harbor there. Um, do you have a plan of moving forward, George?
5: Well, we're always moving forward, and we do have a plan. I've got several irons in the fire uh, towards that. I, I don't feel at liberty to divulge exactly what those are, um, largely because I also have a uh, following that's not real fond of what it is I'm trying to do, including the harbor master here in Rockland, who has stated that he had. Uh, uh wish that he had killed all of my fundraising efforts or uh uh not only locally but also um everywhere.
3: Well um and again and again plenty of time for that but if I could um I've been and we talked about this yesterday too, I've been uh relearning some lessons about radio uh just recently and, and specifically how people listen to the radio. Now we assume everybody <laughs> tuned in right at the start of Boat Talk and is hanging on our every word but in fact it's not true. People come and go. They tune in late. They don't hear everything you say. So, if I had some advice, uh, radio-wise, George, it would be keep it simple. And also on boat talk, I'm, I'm, sometimes sorry to say, some of the best stories we know are very personal, and we tend to try to go very lightly on the on the on the personal details sometimes, and the he said he said, and you know, for whatever it's worth, I'm, I'm you know, I'm throwing that out there. So anyway, you've got to get a new pair of masks, but you've got to have. Do you have a design?
5: Uh, well, we've got several options. I haven't submitted the plans to the Coast Guard because I'm still waiting for uh, any of those options to come to a point where I can have them in fruition. For example, getting the Douglas fir out of Canada is going to cost about ten grand. I don't have the ten grand at this time. Uh, we are, we do have an organization in Florida that's working towards that. If that comes true, then I'll submit the plans for uh, putting in Douglas fir trees. Uh, If we don't, then we may end up going back to spruce and splicing uh, several together.
3: Materials may suggest design, you're saying?
5: um, Correct.
3: Yeah.
5: Materials and what we can afford to do. Obviously, we would love to put in the Douglas firs. That's what we should do. If I end up splicing them, that will be a temporary fix, which will uh, uh, obviously have to pass all of the Coast Guard regulations, and I don't think that will be an issue. But uh, I would still consider it temporary because it's not ideal, and I don't want to uh, uh, be taking passengers out. Well, not guests. There they won't be passengers. they will be guests out, uh, you know, unless the ship is set up ideally.
3: Interesting. Um, previously it's been, I guess, the rig would be described as a gaff schooner rig. Uh, yes. And you got sails, so wouldn't you tend back in that direction?
5: Well, we are going to gaff rig it still, yes
3: are you? and try to make it fit the sails you already have. Um
5: the mast the, the mast being undersized before uh we will change the sail design slightly. We one of the issues was the angle on the gaff was wrong. And so we'll be recutting those sails to uh, give us a, a more traditional angle. I had followed a marine architect's uh recommendations for the gaff angle out of Oregon, and that turned out to be a uh, a bad a bad recommendation, I guess. Huh.
3: Lots of ways to approach anything. Now, Raw Faith doesn't have an engine, and you did not put an engine in that for, for choice. She's an unregistered, undocumented vessel. And uh, in a way, when you do get it sailing, and, and I'm kind of talking here about how materials suggest design, and design suggests what you can do, you know. And, uh, in fact, you've got no engine, and there are times you can't go places, and there are places you can't go absolutely
5: and, and we have to be real uh, particular about that you know we have to pay, pay very close attention to uh, uh, all of our surroundings what's going on and uh, and choose accordingly
3: going to call for you know basically some exemplary seamanship now I, I said it to begin with you never had you lived on a lake in uh, Winthrop there you never really had more in a canoe you never went sailing before you built this boat um, and I shared with you the movie coaster the story of the John F Levitt uh, which they built down in Thomaston, and the fella who built that, uh, you know, went off and revered the, the uh, knowledge and experience of the coasters, but, you know, went off and, and uh, lost the boat, uh, possibly through inexperience, and, and you know, in my, experience, in my opinion, on that trip, the people failed before the boat did, and they didn't act to help themselves, and I've seen that a couple of times, and you've been out there when it's not nice.
5: Yeah, and... Uh, uh... You know, raw faith has uh, performed remarkably well in very rough weather, so I'm, I'm very pleased with her. By not uh, we nice, we
3: were... I'm sorry, George. I mean, like uh, you know, uh, the masts actually are falling down. That's that's not a good day on any boat. So, you
5: no, can... that's that's not. But nobody was ever in danger. There was nothing that came. Uh, uh, you know, nobody, nobody, uh, not, nothing came crashing down. That everything was held up with the rigging. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I don't think that uh, the mast coming down, it was the top part of the mast that it broke. It wasn't like the whole mast uh, was demasted, but it's certainly enough so that we could not continue on sailing.
3: Yeah, well, and again, uh, we're accumulating experience here, and if it doesn't kill us or hurt anything, that's always a good thing, you know. Uh, I like to uh, not dwell so much on our mistakes, uh, you know, in, in our early, my early career of boat delivering. Uh, you know, we've learned, and... and uh, I like to think we don't already make any mistakes anymore, but like I say, it's it's all about experience. Now, um,
5: well, you know, Mike, there's a there's a book called uh, Tall Ship Down, and and it talks about a lot a lot of different uh, uh, tall ships that have sank, and a lot of them had very experienced crews, and they still sank.
0: And
3: great so I, point.
5: You know, and, and so it is something that you have to be very careful of. But a lot of those situations, when you analyze them, they were almost in every situation people at fault and people uh, error. you know, I might have 20 years' experience. It doesn't guarantee, you know, 100% of anybody's safety, just the same as any captain that's sailing out there today. They may think they have more experience. It doesn't mean they're going to make better decisions than the ones I would make.
3: It's a great point. If I could summarize that, it would be not only, uh, you know, can you uh, be a factor in your own butt and getting kicked, the ocean will do it for you at any time, you know. And, uh, you know, so it is. It's it's an interesting, uh, you know, very tricky place to operate. So, anyway... Um, you know, and we've always, Alan, uh, frankly, my partner here, is a bit more skeptical and has been since we first showed up down to Addison while you were building the boat. And I've always kind of hung it on, uh, you know, you've, you've got a dream. And not everybody that's had a boat dream has the energy and, and uh, stick-to-itiveness to get as far as you already have. Now, you've come up um, a little... Your dream has been realized, let's say, not totally traditionally as a, as a real boat builder like myself and Alan would, would, or sailors would tend to interpret it. And, uh, you know, so there's been a little friction with you and the sailing community. Let's put it that way. And, uh, but we've always, like you say, uh, I always say, hey, good for your dream. But honestly, you know, I've always had a couple of questions and qualifications and, and you know, try to be right up front about it. So that's kind of where I come from. Now, you have kind of um, had some trouble with, uh, you know, the, well, I guess for lack of a better word, the around the harbor, the local boat community there.
5: Uh, yes, we have. Um, when you were talking about the J.E. Riggin, uh being cut loose by some vandals, my, my skiff has been cut loose or let loose four times now. And uh, this last summer, during the uh, foggiest day of the year, my uh, mooring uh, ball was, was cut loose as well and uh, so far you couldn't see from one end of the ship to the other. Uh, We got a couple hundred feet of line out with the scope, and uh, uh, that was cut loose right in the fog. and uh, we went to shore. The morning ball was there in the morning, dead calm, not a breeze. We came back, and uh, it was very foggy. Of course, we used our GPS to get back to the ship, and uh, when the fog lifted later that afternoon, the ball was gone. That's not not very enheartening at all.
3: And if it was a more traditional mooring setup, it might have cut the boat free. Would that be fair to say?
5: Absolutely would have. Absolutely. Huh. And, uh, you know, so so that's, uh, that has me a, a great deal of concern, which is one reason why we're staying on the ship, I believe, uh, at least being here. It will deter anybody from doing anything unless it's an extremely foggy day, and obviously on those days we'll be more vigilant.
3: That is, uh, you know, beyond, uh, you know, uh what kind of concern you called it, I mean, you know, that's that that's totally, uh, you, you can't get past anything like that, can you? Um, and, in yeah. fact, you kind of, in a way, have to be very suspicious of everything that happens then, don't you?
5: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's something that I don't really understand because, um, uh, you know, I haven't broken any laws, and I don't, uh, uh, people that go sailing with me do it out of their own free will. And they understand the situation, and, and I explain my background and the, everything to them. So it's not like uh, uh, there's, there's anything uh, phony going on. It's why people have this dislike and uh, towards me or what it is I'm trying to do. They don't even know what it is, and they have the dislike. For example, when you mentioned my experience, do you know whether I'm going to have an experienced captain on board uh, with 30 years' experience before we take any families out? You don't know that. No one does. And so for people to jump to all kinds of conclusions and, and things, I received several life-threatening emails. People wished I would die. People wish Roth Faith would, would uh, break loose and, and uh, end up on the breakwater. And stuff. You know, I get all, get all this nasty stuff. And I don't even understand why, you know, and uh, who have I offended?
3: Like I say, then, you've got to be concerned all the time, um, you know. And let's, for instance, you've also got an uh, excise tax and fee issue with the town of Rockland, don't you?
5: Yes, and uh, that's another uh, uh, thing that's ongoing. I uh, received a, a letter from the Harbor Commission last spring and asking me to uh, pay their mooring fees, and they said they had a uh, 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 an ordinance that said if I'm at anchor for longer than uh, two weeks, then I need to be able to pay a uh, mooring fee. And before I pay the mooring fee, I have to... Uh, Uh, show proof that I paid my uh, excise tax. So I went to their meeting and said, you know, I don't believe I owe any excise tax. Because
3: your uh, boat doesn't have an engine. Basically, it's a big canoe. We don't pay excise taxes on our canoes in Maine?
5: Well, two things. That's correct. And also, it's undocumented. There are uh, other boats here, other schooners in the harbor, don't have engines, but they pay. But they're taking out paying passengers, and they're documented vessels. Faith will not take out-paying passengers, and Faith is an undocumented vessel without an engine. The state has told me I don't need to pay excise tax, and so I brought this up. and The harbor commission uh, ordered the harbor master to look into it. and uh, Five months later, I get another notice back that says uh, I owe this tax, and uh, never received a word from anybody after that meeting. and uh, um, I guess they considered the issue uh, uh, dead at that point, and that uh, I owed the tax, and they even sent me a uh, excise bill. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange for the harbor master to be sending me an excise bill. What's up with that?
3: I'm and, told. Uh, I'm sorry, George stepped on you again. I'm told no. the uh, excise tax is uh, a requirement for any boat that spends uh, more than 120 days in the state of Maine. And in fact, raw faith, of course, is not a canoe, and uh, you, in fact, have. Um, you know, because of your situation there, been living in the harbor for a couple winters now, you know. So you, and I'm not calling you a houseboat, of course, but you are living in the harbor there. So,
5: well, when I talked to the state, uh, there was no 120 day uh, limit on anything. They didn't ask me anything about that or any other such thing. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if somebody has that, you know, because I said if I owe the tax, then I'll pay it. I'm not trying to get away from paying anything, but I'm not going to pay a tax that I don't owe. I don't think anybody wants to do that, and and so that's where I am with it. And they've never gotten back to me about any uh, law or ordinance or anything regarding that.
3: George, uh, here's an idea. Um, you know, and I, I again uh, been talking to people and trying to figure out what's going on down there. And I I uh, am just always appalled by miscommunication and misunderstanding. And I've never seen a one sided problem. And uh, so anyway, I've I've tried to talk to a couple people and and, uh, see if I can figure out what's going on down there because, you know, hearing you say all this stuff alarms the hell out of me. Uh, You know, and like I say, you can't ignore somebody turning your boat loose and uh, sending emails like that. But anyway, here's an idea, George. Is it possible that the boat getting uh, turned free is related to the tax issue? For instance, if you're bringing uh, yourself... And and your boat, or yourself and your and Elizabeth, for instance, um, over to the fish pier, and using the facility there. Okay, the ramp and or the dock, and at the fish pier, for instance, and and most piers around, uh, marinas, whatever, you've got to pay a permit fee, not for your not for your boat out on the moor in there, but for your dinghy at the pier, and I believe at the fish pier it's a hundred dollars to keep a boat there, and. uh... One thing that 's been suggested to me, George, is that a fishermen come and go and see that you haven 't paid the same fee they do, um, perhaps that 's upset them and fishermen have a, frankly a way of uh, talking to people that 's not always direct around here now if you 've uh, pissed off and if you 're a lobsterman and pissed off another lobsterman, the first thing they 'll do for you is hitch up a uh, the line on you lo they 'll tie a knot uh, when you haul your lobster pot up onto the hauler here comes this knot that 's a signal okay and uh, so this is the idea George that possibly Hold um, well, on a
5: minute Mike, I did pay my fees there to use that pier.
3: Okay. So that um, that was
5: not an issue and the local fishermen that were there uh knew that. I had talked to them and they saw me using it and they would ask me and I would say yeah I paid my fees and they have a pier manager there also
3: so. Yeah, um and again we're I'm not telling you this is how it is. I'm putting out an idea here and we're turning it around and looking at it and so at the bottom, uh, you know, I find the idea of enemies really hard, and, and you've, you're working on a call from God here. You know, and the fact that uh, I know God has a habit of throwing stones and in, in believers' paths and all that, but, uh, you know, uh, as a Christian, how do you, uh, is there any guidance on, on how do you deal with people who are against you for whatever reason? And, and uh, you know, is it a possibility that, that you've upset some people by approaching the harbor differently from everybody else? Well,
5: I can't talk for why other people are upset, um, other than, you know, I, I would just put word out, and I've I said this to anybody that, that uh, might disagree with what I'm doing, talk to me about it. And most of the people that are upset haven't even talked to me. They have no idea about what's going on. And so that's us um, I really can't speak for them. Um, as far as my belief, um, when you're doing the Lord's will, then uh, Satan's going to step in and uh, try to stop you as well and Satan has many tools and has a basket for doing that And so my job is to persevere and to continue on doing what I believe is the Lord's will
2: George, this is Alan um, I was over in Rockland a couple of months ago and happened to take a look at uh, raw faith from the breakwater there and notice it's uh, floating on a little bit of a list um, and I noticed you have a wind um, wind bane on, on board too I'm assuming they are having a little bit of leakage problem and the the wind vane is to keep the pumps going. That well, right?
5: the, the wind generator is one that actually I, I made myself. Rob and I made it, and uh, that just applies with all of our power. The, the uh, leaking hasn't uh, been any different from uh, the beginning, I guess. I mean, if you, if you, I haven't noticed any increase in leaking at all.
2: So it's just floated on a list originally, and you just haven't trimmed it out yet. Is that Correct.
5: That is correct. We have not trimmed it out. When we added the ballast, uh, there was no real control other than try to get 50 tons of ballast in the ship as fast as possible. Okay. And so that accounts for the list. Also, I have uh, two tons of coal that's sitting on one side of the ship. So,
2: Ah, that, I was wondering how you're heating it, whether you wood or coal. So that uh, answer's that.
5: You're heating with both, Alan. I, I uh, stoked the wood to it during the day and the coal at night.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the reason why I'm, I'm worried about the, the leaking and the list and then you're relieving me somewhat, is that when we talked, I guess it's been three years since the boat's been launched. It was before the launching, actually, and you mentioned that you realized that this boat construction was uh, not high-end, I think was the way you put it, but that it it does have a a fairly uh, expected short lifetime, you know, steel fasteners and short planks and all that, and the fact that you haven't got any masts in it yet, I'm wondering um, what your window of opportunity is going to be like with this with this unit.
5: Well, I don't know um, where you get a lot of that. I never thought it would be a short lifetime. There are certainly boats with steel fasteners been out there a long time. Looking at my fasteners, I don't see any deterioration on them at all at this time. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if a lot of that deterioration comes from having motors and extra electrolysis that gets generated from that.
3: In fact... Really in fact, we did a show uh, a couple months ago about electrolysis, and I hope we made it interesting, even let alone understandable. As voodoo and that, you don't have a high electrolysis potential. You got no engine. You got no uh, steel uh, prop coming, out uh, you know bronze prop on a steel shaft coming out. But you do have, uh, like you say, steel nails that are exposed to the water. And in my view, um, electrolysis is inevitable there, and they hold the boat together. So uh, you know, I see that as as how that boat, um, the problem with it, when it as it will age. In fact, your boat really doesn't leak all that much, does it?
5: No, she leaks a couple gallons a day.
3: Yeah, not okay. much at all for a 90-foot boat.
5: I, I look at the uh, steel fasteners right along the water line, and, you know, the 8-inch the, the spikes, and I see no uh, uh, visible deterioration on them at the head anyways, which is exposed to the outside air where you might expect to get uh, uh, more of that. So, you know, I'm just going to keep an eye on that. And I have never built Raw Faith with the idea that Raw Faith is going to uh, last forever. The idea of Raw Faith was uh, a proof-of-concept model for me to be able to prove the concept of the mission. And if we can get the support for the mission, then perhaps we would be able to raise the uh, millions of dollars necessary to go and get another boat built. So I never felt that building Raw Faith the way I did was any kind of a high-risk type of program. If, if I get a few years out of raw faith enough to bring awareness to what it is I'm trying to do, and then we're able to raise the money to be able to, this, a significant amount of money to be able to go and, and have a different ship built, then, you know, I won't cry over that. That will be great.
3: We're doing boat talk this morning. We're talking to George McKay, the builder and captain of raw faith uh, now in Rockland Harbor, and, and a perennial boat talk uh, question around here. Um, George, can I, can I leave uh, one more uh, little idea with everybody this morning? I ask a lot of people, I say, uh, you know, people say all the time, I was out in Rockland Harbor, So I, saw, I said, did you knock on the hall and say hello? They go, no. And, uh, you know, you got to get, everybody's got to get talking to everybody is what I'm saying here. And if you're running around in Rockland Harbor, I'd recommend that you knock on the hall. George ain't a bad fellow. I like him. I consider him a friend. And, uh, you know, uh, back at you there, George. So, uh, you know, that's, and we enjoyed talking to you this morning, so. Well, thanks,
5: Mike, and I did over the summer hold, have a uh, bell with a line on it, and I had a little uh, sign there that said, uh, ring bell, you know, and uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to talk to people and anybody have any comments or concerns. You know, it's never my goal to build a pristine yacht. And anybody looks at Rob eight will see that immediately. Maybe that offends some people. Maybe some people, uh, you know, the boat connoisseurs, you know, will look at it and think, well, look at that, the lines aren't, aren't perfect. Well, we know the lines aren't perfect, on it wasn't meant to be. Uh the Coast Guard unofficially has said it's one of the best well-built wooden vessels they've ever inspected. So,
3: and, you know, and you built it, and it changed your life, and it's your home. And, uh, you know, it's hard for anybody to, uh, you know, argue with that part of it. George, again, I'm glad to talk to you this morning. The phone's ringing, and, and we've got to make some space here. And, and, you know, we hope to talk to you again sometime soon.
5: Okay, Mike, Ellen, uh thanks a lot. And uh, I guess that's what's going on. We're All still right. working at it. Plugging away at it, we got several lands in the fire, so hopefully something will come through, and we'll be sailing maybe this summer.
3: Good morning down there. Now uh, we're about ten minutes or less till the end of boat talk here, if this clock's uh, right. Who's on the phone? Good morning.
1: Good morning, gentlemen.
3: Sounds Hi. like our buddy Michael from Stonington, a usual Ooh. suspect, not owned to not to mention uh, quite a boat builder. So uh,
1: well, yeah, well, a couple of comments. Uh, another interesting show, as usual. Um, I. Firstly, your comment about, of course, electrolysis, I, I think what his boat is likely to suffer is not electrolysis. I mean, iron nails, steel nails there, unless he's got other metals that'll argue with those, technically he won't suffer from electrolysis. Now, iron and oak, of course, don't get along because tannic acid in the oak doesn't like the iron and, uh, and results in the deterioration of both, unfortunately. And, um, all of us who own iron fastened boats, <clears throat> and I am a suspect there, um, experience enough to deal with these issues. But um, uh, you know, this this saga has been going on a long time, and and I do have a couple of comments um, in general and for George. I think I think George probably realizes at this point that raw faith is <clears throat> not the name, but just having raw faith isn't enough to solve all his issues here, and. You know, I haven't learned much in my 58 years on this planet, maybe, but...
3: <laughs> Still time uh, to learn?
1: Yep, yeah, but one of the things I have learned is that one of the biggest, and I have done this too many times in, in years gone by, but one of the biggest wastes of time is to reinvent the wheel. And, um, you know, if I had the the, uh, the the courage and the audacity to set out to do what George did, which... I have to say i mean i have admiration for the guy it's a monumental task a vessel of this size but the first thing i would do is i would go to the people who have been there and done that before and i don't know any of the any of the modern uh you know the, the current schooner captains uh, personally uh, over uh on the other side of the bay but back years ago i met jim sharp um oval young off the roseway and um I found them to be very accommodating, very easygoing, and very friendly, personable people who were willing to share anything about their beloved vessels with an interested party. And I think if I set out to build a boat like just a 90-foot schooner, a big 90-foot wooden vessel, um, you know, designing a rig, I'm not saying it's simple, but it's not rocket science. People did this for hundreds of years without... High technical qualifications and PhDs, and and quite frankly, I, I would take a simple homemade caliper and uh, and and a pad and paper, and I'd 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 ride over to you know to Rockland and Camden, and and I would try and chat up the owners and ask them if I could check the diameter of the spar at the you know at the butt at the at the partners at the hounds um, and write this stuff down, and you know it really isn't that. It really isn't that. It's been done before. Don't reinvent the wheel. Copy something that's there and uh, and works. And you know, unless you've got people who are really um, difficult to deal with. And, and quite frankly, my experiences, although before I moved to Maine, my experiences with the Coast Guard really read more like Stephen King horror novels than anything else. Um, I found the Marine Safety Office up here to be staffed by a bunch of really great guys, um, intelligent, well-educated, uh, responsible, and, um, uh, and, and logical, you know. And so I, I have not found the, it used to be the safety office in Bucksport, now it's over in Belfast, but um, over the years, and, and, and the staff has changed, but they've been a pretty great bunch of, of, uh, of guys.
3: And you're speaking to experience there and uh, accumulated knowledge, which we've been talking about before. And I don't want to crowd anybody, but we got somebody else on the phone. We've uh, like a couple of minutes left here. And, okay, well, and I'm I was going here. to try to throw a book thing at the end of here, which ain't going to fit. But anyway, thank you, Michael. we thank you for calling this morning. No, and we'll right. rush you next time. All right, next
2: on Boat Talk. Good morning. You've got just a couple of minutes left on Boat Talk.
0: Oh, a couple minutes is not enough. Hi, Mike. Hi, Alan. This is Brenda from the schooner uh, Isaac Evans I'm Captain
3: Brenda, <laughs> former guest over here. How yeah. are you this morning?
0: I'm doing really well. Um, uh, as always, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, I do knock on the hull over there when I drop anchor inside the breakwater. And not only that, but I've taken over crates full of food, schooner-cooked wood stove cooking, you know. And George is always very thankful for that, uh, appreciative and all that. So I do want to make sure that people understand that the schooner folk around are supporting him personally, but um, I cannot support this mission at all. I think it's, a, it's an, an impressive one and an important one, and it's being done on other safe boats, and that's, that's really the key for me. Um, he does say that he doesn't know why this, and he doesn't know why that, why people are saying all these things about him. But the, the truth is, he doesn't seem to, like the last caller said, kind of get the advice of the experience, and, and schooner people have, have been underway. I won't call it sailing, but we've been underway on that boat, and it is not safe. <laughs> it's just not. Um, and I've heard his, his responses to certain things, and he claims he's on a, a Christian mission, but um, I think he's got a little bit of a persecution complex. I mean, he's, he has an abrasive personality. He responds to any criticism with, quite frankly, deep anger. <laughs> he, he and the harbormaster here have a very conflicted relationship. It's quite ugly. Um, but I know the Harbor master, and I don't think it comes from that side. I really don't.
3: I know the harbormaster, too, and, uh, you know, he is a good fellow. So, he's um, a great guy. I and mean, I like and George, I think, too. Um,
0: yeah, and frustrates that's the thing. Me. Yeah, it is frustrating. It's 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 frustrating for those of us who have offered and tried to help to continue to hear. I don't know why people say this, and I don't know why people say that. And I can tell anybody who wants to hear it that I say it because I've been on the boat, I've been underway on the boat, I've spoken to George many, 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 many times, and I think he's on the wrong track.
3: What I said the other day, I said two things real quick. I says, uh, George, and he wasn't, um, again, when I called George, I don't think he was sure, you know, uh, how to take how to take me or it. And uh, at one point I said, George, if you weren't such a big bull of a fellow, you never could have built that boat. That's that fell on the floor and sat there for a minute, long silence. And then he says, well... I guess I'll choose to take that as a compliment. I burst out laughing and of course it's a compliment, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's doing some good things, and I think his heart is in the right place, and I will continue any time I go over there to take him any um, any food that we can spare because I know he's out there, he's living out there, and, and he needs the help. But I will not help the boat. It's mm. just not the way to go.
3: The reason, uh, Brendan, we've got to be really quick here. We're getting wrapped it up big time. And, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, you end up, uh, your boat gets cut, and you end up uh, feeling like the Palestinians and the Israelis. You're in a vicious circle that, that yeah, uh, you know, yeah. nobody gets out of, and nothing good happens, you know. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. Right, I'm right. so glad you called. Brenda's the captain of Isaac H. Evans, a schooner, without an engines runs up and down the coast of Maine. Used to be a banker. Now she's a schooner <laughs> captain, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. right.
0: You guys do a great job. Thanks for Appreciate Thanks good it. Good to hear
3: from you, Brenda. Time, time for us to sail on. Oh, the phone's ringing. The music's playing. We didn't even get the... Uh, the Outlaw Sea, William Langwish. we got to talk about that book. Just yeah, blew me underwater away. Underwater
2: Archaeology, never touched on that We didn't either.
3: get to the Underwater Archaeology either next time. We had several programs this morning. We got a note here, uh, too much George this morning on the radio, but, hey, it is what it is. We do what we do, and, and uh, you know, here we are. It's Boat Talk, second Tuesday every month.
1: I and take some home to lie, sir.